What did you eat for breakfast? What did I eat for breakfast? I ate Karjalan piirakka for breakfast. And what what how what does that translate to? Karjalan piirakka. It's a it's a traditional Finnish sort of um in-baked little pie. Okay. That is something we often eat instead of a regular sandwich. So it's something it's kind of made of rice with with thin rye bread. Mm-hmm. Yeah, baked in rice in in thin rye bread and then we we eat it like a sandwich so we put stuff on it like cheese or ham or whatever you want to put on it so welcome to music on your own terms the podcast that aims to help musicians develop an entrepreneurial mindset through interviews as well as discussing resources, concepts, successes, and more. Providing a platform to talk about negative emotions such as anxiety and depression in order to help overcome them in the context of music and reduce the social stigma. This is episode 115. This episode is sponsored by Ignite Your Music Career. You may remember in episode 90, I chatted to Craig Dodge about sync licensing and how he makes a living through writing music for TV, video games, and film. Musicians all over the world subscribe to Ignite Your Music Career and earn more royalties, more upfront sync fees, and more recurring revenue from their music. Whether you're a composer, singer-songwriter, band, beatmaker, or instrumentalist, your music can be earning you more money. Internationally acclaimed composer, musician, and music educator Craig Dodge has licensed his music in more than 1,000 TV show episodes, films, video games, and ads all over the world, and he will show you how you can too. Ignite gives you the information you need in a simple, accessible format, and you learn at your own pace. For just $6 a month, you get a video lesson each week on topics related to music licensing, from writing techniques to how to find your markets, and everything in between. You also get tools and activities to build the skills you need to be successful, and each lesson includes a royalty-free sound pack to download and use in your own music. The key to success in the music business today is to diversify your sources of revenue. Ignite will show you how. For more information or to subscribe to Ignite, visit the website at taris-studios.com or click the link on musiconyourownterms.com. It is with great pleasure and gratitude that I present my conversation with Mr. Yuha Rokungas of Rokungas Guitars, Finnish luthier, innovator, and life coach. Regular listeners will remember my episode with Mika Tiska, also known as Mr. Fastfinger, all the way back in episode 9, who not only plays Yuha's instruments, is a good friend, but also created a film about the making of a Mr. Fastfinger signature guitar, with Sensei's help of course. Yuha shares his journey from discovering Iron Maiden and Jimmy Page, learning to both play guitar and dismantling his very first instrument, all the way to finding his calling as a luthier from a very helpful lady at the unemployment office. We hear how Yuha has continued to push innovations from being at the forefront of early websites and guitar customization apps, shunning the traditional tone woods in favor of locally sourced materials that inspire the player to create, as well as the Valve Bucker, a tube-driven guitar pickup that resembles early tube microphones, resulting in a much larger frequency range by amplifying the guitar signal at its source. Finally, Yuha discusses his weekly YouTube livestream, where he shares his thoughts on life, mindset, 
and mental health from his perspective, growing up in a relatively young country whose older generations are still affected by the trauma of devastating wars during the early 1900s, as well as the long dark winters and social pressure of not sharing your feelings. This is one of the longest episodes I've released, but it's truly one of the most fascinating and enjoyable. And I'm truly grateful that Yuha was able to share so many valuable and insightful experiences. If you enjoy the podcast and want to show your support, I'd be really grateful if you would consider signing up for the mailing list to stay in the loop with everything going on with the show. Just head over to musiconyourownterms.com and click the link. While you're there, you can also visit the store and grab some merch, or just buy me a coffee and help out with the running costs of the show. Thanks for listening. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Mr. Yuha Rokungas. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today, I'm uh, pleased to be joined by Mr. Yuha Rokungas of Rokungas Guitars. How are you doing, sir? Very well, thank you. Yeah, welcome. Glad to be here with you today. Awesome. For regular listeners, um, I found out about Yuha because of Mr. Fastfinger, Mika Tiska, from all the way back in the first couple of episodes, who plays the guitars. So yeah, so let's dig into your background and what your business is, if you wouldn't mind telling everyone what you do. Well, I, I've, I've been a professional guitar maker for 20, 25 years now. Started my company in 1995 and located in Finland. Yeah, we make guitars. We make electric guitars, different styles for different players, sell them basically to every corner of the planet. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, if people look at your uh, Instagram and your website, they are immaculately made. I mean, they're, they're one of the highest end looking guitars that I've ever seen. They're, they're really good. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. Other than Mr. Fastfinger, you've got players like uh, Matthias from Stradivarius, JJ French from Twisted Sister, Sonny Landreth. Uh, let's see. I want to dig into your past a little bit. How, how did you get started in, in playing guitar, first of all, but then how, how did you wind up making them? Well, I, I, I guess it's a, it's a bit of a, like, when, when I'm talking to my colleagues, it feels that we were very much like soulmates often with the in some ways, a similar path, basically every, everything kind of gearing towards loving music. And it's like, yeah, so so love for music. And for me, the, the musical awakening for me, I think it like really big time happened in 1982 when I was 10 years old and a friend of mine brought in a C cassette mm-hmm. with the Iron Maiden, Number of the Beast. Nice. You know, and the, it was a, album that had been just released by Iron Maiden in 1982 and he had recorded it to the C cassette from his big brother who had it as a vinyl mm-hmm. and so he put the C cassette into my little cassette player and it was just mind-blowing I think it just totally totally changed my life really that experience with that energy and that you know mm-hmm. the whole thing about it and and so I um, went down that road listening to, for for years, it was very much heavy metal, hard rock and all that stuff that through Iron Maiden. And then I'm, I've, I've been always kind of, kind of a geek, you know, wanting to learn and know about stuff. So I, at the time, obviously in the eighties, there was no internet and it wasn't so easy to find information, but so from the library, you could find books and 
and some uh, reading some magazines and um, found out about other bands and and then then it all started happening with with the Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and, and all the classics, mm-hmm. the big ones, and then kind of diverting more into prog rock and 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 eventually to all kinds of different styles of music, but. But for me, the the hard rock and the metal music was something that I that's that's when I remember I was uh, probably twelve or something, and at my friend's place, who brought that number of the beast mm. cassette years earlier. So I was I was visiting my friend, and and his big brother had a had a poster on the wall, Jimmy Page, and Jimmy Page was there, like you know this classic. You've probably seen these photos of Jimmy Page. You know the camera is kind of like right. down below, and and he's on stage, and and legs spread, and the the Les Paul hanging low, and really like a rock and roll god, right? The guitar hero, and I I just I just fell in love with that that arrogance and that look that was huh. just so kind of like owning the owning the world. And the guitar was Les Paul, so I'm I'm kind of like that's when I just I just fell in love with the aesthetics of of the Gibson Les Paul, and when I started playing guitar, then that was my sort of holy grail that one day I wanna I wanna own a Gibson Les Paul, and I I was just kind of really gravitating towards that style of guitars from the get go, and yeah, so I guess. One thing that tells a lot of my personality is that when I finally got my first guitar, which was which was the cheap Strat replica, the first thing when I when I got it was I didn't even try to play it. I first first of all I just took it apart. Like <laughs> I was just a kid, but that's how I operated. I, I just had to know how it's been built, so I just sure. disassembled it completely. And my mother was freaking out because it was a new guitar <laughs> they just bought me, you know. But that's how I operate. So I, I I disassembled it and put it back together, and then I started to learn to play. And and it kind of like uh, as a very natural chain of events that I would learn learn to play, but simultaneously I would learn about guitars. Uh-huh. in every way I could and I was just so interested in how how th- that kind of things worked. I've never been so much into cars or you know engines and things like that but but mechanical things like um, yeah there's some kind of engineer in me and so I I, uh, I dived into the into the guitar world from very young age and then started tinkering with them a bit like repairing and probably I remember like obviously not being very successful in the beginning it was just trying things and breaking things and then mm. figuring out ways how to how to put them back together again and um, how to use soldering iron and all that stuff and then then eventually um, after college I was thinking that maybe I should go to university. That's what my teachers and my um, and the school they were kind of recommending. You should go to university. You should read psychology. You should read history. You should read this and that. And they were kind of pushing me into a certain direction. But the problem was that I wasn't interested in anything else than playing guitar and and 
and the guitars itself. But my social circles were kind of limited. We lived in a, in a small place. It had never, ever occurred to my mind that, you know, making guitars, repairing guitars or anything of the sort could be something like that you could make a living out of. It was just, it was just a hobby. And, and so I kind of, I was kind of drifting around from job to job and didn't, wasn't interested in studying. And, and then, and I was tinkering with the guitars and I had bands and it just didn't kind of go anywhere. And I, right. you know, now in the hindsight, looking back, things could have ended bad. I mean, I wasn't necessarily on the best of tracks in a way mm. with the people I was hanging out with and, and, and the whole kind of scene that I, things could have gone bad. But one day um, I was out of job and, and I was uh, sitting in an unemployment office looking for a job. And this is time, I mean, they had these like folders with papers. It was no computers there. And it, this is still, uh, must, must have been 1991 or 1992. Mm-hmm. And so I'm there leafing through the folder and looking for a job. And then this lady comes and asks me to sit down and, and one of the employees there and, and asks, try, starts asking me questions that, you know, that you're, you're, you're a young man. Maybe, maybe she saw in my something in my body language that, this guy needs help. (laughs) And it's too bad. I never got her name because she was so helpful. She was asking me the right questions. And, you know, she was really, she was asking me, what am I interested in? And what, what would I like to do if I could choose from all the things in the world, what would I like to do? And so at that point, still, I, I told that, yeah, I would love to play guitar for my living. And I would love to play in a band and make it successful and blah, blah, blah. And then I happened to mention that I also love tinkering guitars. I love repairing them. I love, I'd love to make them, but this is just a silly hobby, I felt. Mm. But this woman, she was like, ah, I know of a school. Wait a second. And so she started digging up from her files. And lo and behold, she found a little note where it said that there in Finland, there is uh, a few years earlier has kind of opened a public, publicly funded mm. uh, college of arts and crafts where certain part of the uh, carpenters student um, quota or, or, or places that they've been reserved for this kind of pilot trial of, of guitar making education. Awesome. So it was a trial. It was not like a established school or anything, but but then there was this kind of a few sentences that on this in this school you can educate yourself to be to become a luthier, to become a guitar maker. So you learn to make guitars. And I'm like I'm there, and that woman that woman was there reading to me those few sentences, and I'm there like goosebumps, like my every hair on my body is like like what. <laughs> You can, you can make guitars for your living? What? And I'm I'm really seriously like having this moment where I'm all of a sudden there was no choice. It was just right. unyielding. It was like this is me. This is where I need to go. And 
so I got a phone number. I called to the to the teacher in the school, and I started asking questions. And I was, yeah, and I, I applied, and I luckily got into the school. And this is this is how things started. That's fantastic. Yeah. And, and here you are, 25, you're celebrating your 25 years. Was that last year, your 25th anniversary? Yeah, that's right. Last year, 25th anniversary. That's awesome. So ju- just touching base back on uh, Mika, how did you guys meet? And like, was he a, just coming to you as a customer or did you know um, know him prior? Um, the only well, reason we, I ask is, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. T- say, the only yeah. reason I ask uh, is because I've been watching your videos and it's like come for the guitar porn and leave for the life advice. It's a, <laughs> almost like you're a life coach that happens to make guitars. And I, I wonder if Mika based Mr. Fastfinger on you. <laughs> oh, wow. Thank you. That that's a that's a that's a pretty cool um kind of a reference and and well no, Mika hasn't based Mr. Fastfinger on me. No, that that's not the case. But it's an, I think it's a pretty interesting story because, you know, well, Finland is a pretty small country, mm-hmm. and and the scene with guitars and this it, it, it's it's really small. But nevertheless, I mean, Mika knew about me, and I knew about him. Mm. Do you remember the the guitar shred show? The Flash website that Mika yeah. used to have—it's not on, online anymore, but it right. was like, like it used to be this huge thing, mm-hmm. fifteen years ago when it when Mika launched that. So, when when Mika came up with that guitar shred show website fifteen years ago, a friend of mine who was a who was a like, well, computer nerd. So he he. He and he also plays guitar, so he tipped me about that. Look at this, what this one guy is doing. Mm. So I became like an instant fan of what Mika was doing, and I really loved his stuff and what he was doing on the on the how he had built up that website and how the how the sensei Mister Fastfinger character had kind of come up. And but at the time when when I then tried to kind of learn, you know, get more information about this guy. I also found out from the internet that he he had started just recently working with a German guitar maker who had made him the first Mr. Fastfinger guitar. Mm-hmm. Must be 15 years ago also. And and so I was kind of like that, okay, I'm I'll I'll just I'll just be a fan. So that's my side of the story. And Later on, when we got to know each other with Mika, Mika has told me his side of the story, which is that he had also been kind of following my doings and and knew about me. And we happened to also be kind of on the on the front line of web development. And we also had a cool little flash component on our website where you could configure your guitar. Mm. And we had it already like, I think we launched it in 2003, guitar configurator, flash built guitar configurator, which was totally like a pioneer thing at the time. I mean, nobody, car factories or sneaker. I mean, nowadays everybody has a configurator, but sure. in those times, nobody had them. And 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 our 
configurator won some web awards and things. It was really a novelty feature on, on a website at the time in 2003. And so Mika had noticed that, and he had been even using our guitar configurator to pick up specifications for the guitar that the German luthier <laughs> then, then built for him because that German builder had kind of contacted him. And so, and Mika didn't know me. So he was, because Mika is also, he's he, he's a bit kind of a shy. He's not like a very extrovert guy who's right. going out for, you know, fishing for this kind of things. And I, I haven't felt like that either. I, I haven't gone out like that either. So So at that point, we just knew about each other. And then a few years down the road, we got to know each other a little bit visit Mika was there demoing Houston Kettner at the Frankfurt Music Messe, the European big guitar show, and I was there exhibiting, so we got to know each other a bit. Mm. And then but we still didn't like we weren't like close friends or anything like that. But then one time happened that when could it have been? Could it be two thousand eight or something like that? Anyways, one of the Frankfurt music messes in the past my flight from Helsinki to Frankfurt, it happened so that, that Mika and I had seats next to each other. Just hmm. out of, just a coincidence. So, so we sit down in the airplane and we start talking guitar. And during those, I mean, it's not a very long flight. It's like two and a half hour flight. Right. So, but during those two and a half hours, hours we kind of came up with the, with the idea that, what if I would make a guitar for Mika and we would make a documentary out of that journey mm-hmm. of making that guitar? So have, have you seen the spirit oh, of the guitar? Of hunt? course. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Cool. Because in those two and a half hours, you know, up in the skies, we came up with a very rough mm. idea of a script for that film and for that guitar. And and we really connected on on many levels. On on one on, on one level, we connected even with the, you know when we started talking about the script and uh, you know making a film. So all of a sudden, we were this team that was planning to make a film together. Mm-hmm. Well, Mika had experience of of doing animation and stuff, but he hadn't done and he had done uh, like commercial. Uh, right. advertisement stuff like that a lot, a lot st- things like that but but not um, um, a fiction project like this so and and I I have no experience but we just became this team that were all of a sudden we were doing a script together we were putting it all and kind of coming up with the with the lines for the for Mr. Fastfinger and for, for me <laughs> and and uh, and it was so much fun and then and then regarding the guitar it's for me it was so fascinating and and interesting how Mika as a guitar player I mean I he's not the only one I've experienced had the same experience but he's a to- like a totally not you know this tech savvy guy who would know about the tone wood or the mm. neck profiles and the you know the fret materials and the wirings and all that stuff that all the details like some other player could be very knowledgeable and know what he wants and and stuff like that for Mika it's kind of that 
he knows it when it feels good. Right. And when a guitar feels good and it produces that sound that inspires him, he knows that, yeah, this is it. But how to get there, he doesn't really have necessarily the vocabulary to, you know, for me, it's more like I need to get to know this guy so I kind of understand what's going on in his head, in his Mm -hmm. mind, and then figure out if I can make something that would inspire him, which to me is like a very fruitful and and wonderful situation in a way because it, it, it gives me the freedom to... Uh, of course, it, it, it's it's kind of taking the leap. You don't you don't really know until until the <laughs> guitar is there, and and then you just so it's kind of trusting my intuition, and and but it's so much fun, and and so we've over the years we've become a best friends with Mika, and, and very very cool to work with him. I, I like that, uh, or I love that, um, and I'm very um, taken uh, with the with the with the. You know, me being a role model for Mr. Fastfinger character, it's thank you, thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome. I wish I could be, but <laughs> <laughs> but I, I can maybe I can see, yeah, with, with my with my own podcasts and my um, life coach stuff that I do, maybe maybe there's some kind of a similarity. It's it's anyways, it's stuff that that Mika and I, when we've been traveling together to to the United States to the Nam Show or in Germany to to many events it's stuff that we've talked about a lot together mm. so so maybe maybe mika maybe mr fastfinger is my there, there you role go. model maybe it's that way <laughs> that's awesome yeah no I, I i love the fact that you you mentioned that you uh you you had like a groundbreaking website with flash i like the story of how you know you built a website back when it was the golden age when I was probably in college and it, it's, you know, all the graphics were pretty poor, but you got into all these magazines with your press release because you had a website. No one else did. Yeah. This was back in the 1996, 97 about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This was really early on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and it looks like, you know, every step of the way throughout your career, you have some kind of, you know, new, new thing, new invention, new, new. Yeah. I'd, I'd really love to know about your thermal, the thermal age tone wood and, you know, Spanish cedar and, and Arctic birch. I, I'm not somebody who, who really cares about materials in terms of mm. it has to be rosewood, mahogany, maple. I love the fact that you're, you've got these different <laughs> ideas because scientifically it makes a lot of sense that the woods are, you know, in that environment. Um, and for listeners, it's, you know, it, the, the, uh, the, the, the timbers are in the cold and they, they weather in, in much harsher conditions than, you know, traditional materials. And, you know, I, I, I love the whole history of, of the stuff you try out and, and develop. Yeah. There's a, there's a kind of a, um, common thread throughout when I've, looked back into the you know the timeline of what is this company about and how how I've kind of stumbled through to be where I am now and there's that common thread of on one hand I I I'm the first person to to confess that I'm like when it comes to guitars and and 
designing guitars and the shapes and the kind of aesthetics of guitars, I'm a pretty traditional guy. I don't, I'm not like a, the, the, the guy who would come out with these, these very strange looking out of the ordinary looking guitars that, that I'm kind of more gravitating towards the, 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 traditional shaped guitar looking guitars in a way and um so there's the traditional side of me that i'm i'm just maybe maybe it's so maybe it's nostalgic maybe it's just something to me that that is so kind of a it's more like an emotional connection to what the guitar is and what what it represents and and also form following function in a certain way that that i i kind of never have gotten it that to make a design out of a just to be different mm-hmm. that you know but there's kind of that side to me but then on the other hand i i've always looked at guitars with a very critical eye and i think it kind of goes back to my falling in love with gibson les paul because it's a it's it's a bit of a funny funny um story how I fall in love with a poster, with an image mm. of a guitar. And then, you know, in the later years, still as a teenager, I would go to a guitar store and I would pick up a Les Paul, whether it was a Gibson Les Paul or or a replica of, of some other company or whatever, but also uh, made in USA Gibson Les Pauls. Sure, I would pick up pick up those guitars. And every time I pick them up in the guitar store, I'm disappointed that this is not, I don't get it. This is not what I imagine in my mind what, what this guitar should be. Mm. And I have no, I would have no, it's it's more of like a hunch because I don't have any context of where to put it because I've never, I wouldn't know anything else than the guitars that I've tried. And it's just the feeling that how come, I mean, all these great guitarists are using this guitar and is this it, how it feels? when I pick it up in the guitar store. And at the time when I was doing, they were they were very heavy guitars. Typically, they were like weight a ton. That was one thing. And they felt like back heavy that when I have it on my lap, it just didn't feel comfortable. So in the end, I never got myself a Gibson Les Paul. I just, I just loved it the way it, the, what, something that it represented to me, but I couldn't find a Les Paul that I would have liked. <laughs> and and then I ended up playing other kinds of guitars or let's say guitars that had been born out of Les Paul tradition but weren't Les Pauls. There would have been a, a Japanese Aria Pro 2, like a, a cheap mm-hmm. guitar, but to me it was just a nicer guitar to hold. That It had something right that to me the Les Paul didn't have right. And... And so maybe it was all the way from those early days, not being a guitar maker, but just just kind of like brainstorming on. And it wasn't even a conscious brainstorming. It was just kind of like observing that, wait a minute, I don't like this. I like this. And, and, and it was just arbitrary something. But then when I think of it, that where it has led later on is that, even though there is the traditional side of nostalgic guitar lover and guitar fan in me, 
I'm always looking at the guitars in a critical with a critical eye and trying to kind of when I when I then in 1996 started designing my first original guitar after I had graduated from a school guitar making school so I ended up designing a guitar that to me has the the soul of a Les Paul but it was more modern it's called the Duke and mm-hmm. it's it's a double cutaway guitar somebody might someone might think it's more like uh, PRSK Uh, instrument but but as a matter of fact like the neck angle and the kind of the playability you close your eyes you you strap it on your shoulder and and it's it's way closer it's more like it feels like a Les Paul guitar than than a than a Paul Ray Smith guitar but so what's what was going on there is that I in my mind at the time the young luthier that I was back then I would kind of explode the Les Paul idea of a Les Paul mm. into little bits and pieces like I did my first electric guitar you know taking it to bits and pieces and putting it back together so I would do that kind of a same thing metaphorically speaking to that Les Paul as a concept and thinking you know why is this guitar the legendary guitar it is what is great about it And what are the shortcomings, maybe, to to me personally? Mm. What are the shortcomings? What do I want to improve? What do I want to change? So I wouldn't be afraid of of tempering with anything. So for me, a myth about Honduran mahogany, old growth Honduran mahogany, it's like nothing. I couldn't care less because mm. I'm just, okay, that's one myth, but I need to know if that's real, if, that's tr- if, if it's true or if it's just a myth because a lot of these myths are just marketing oh yeah you know and and so i and some of the myths are are real based on on actual reality why a certain material would be used and so yeah for, for me there is no sacred features or characteristics or materials or whatever uh that one should so I, i'm I'm always saying that nothing, absolutely nothing is carved in stone. That the fact mm. that, that, that Gibson Les Paul became the, the icon it is. And like hats off to that because I, could, I wouldn't be working in the profession I'm working now without these iconic, these classic instruments. Sure, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just standing on the shoulders of, of whatever was before me. And, you know, the the idea that because i i remember at one time when when i was studying in the guitar making school and we did a field trip to a guitar collector who had a gold top 1957 les paul in his collection mm. and that's the guitar we went there to see with my class and we went there to to take measurements to to play that guitar to feel that guitar and This was a guitar when I I picked up that instrument, you know that was the first ever Gibson Les Paul that I felt like, oh my god, this is why, <laughs> because that guitar was so different. 1957 Gold Top Les Les Paul, that specific instrument. I know that there's been variations in the weight of these instruments already back then, but this instrument was light and it sounded open. It was like resonant, inspiring musical instrument, and not that kind of dark, muddy thing that I had kind of come to realize that maybe this is what Les Paul is but so I picked up that 
that guitar and kind of fell in love with Gibson Les Paul all over again on that field trip. And and that's when I started asking questions. Okay, so what? Why is this guitar so good? And why aren't the other guitars so good? And what are what are the ingredients that make this guitar so good? And and one could make the kind of hasty conclusion that it's the Honduran mahogany because in the 50s it was different. Mm. It's that Brazilian rosewood because that's what they used back then. But it's it's not quite... That would be kind of the, the easy way out. You kind of give it a mm. label and then you start making that. But for me, it was more the feel. I just wanted to capture that feel and that inspiration somehow. And as the matter of the fact happens to be that that Honduran mahogany comes from South America, Brazilian rosewood comes from the Amazon rainforest. It's materials that are are, are not easy to get anymore, and right. they they are not environmentally viable materials to use anymore. But still, I mean, you can still buy Honduran mahogany as a trade name, even if it's not from Honduras, even if it's not the same species, but you can buy it as a trade name, marketing. I mean, it's it's all just like, you know, smoke and mirrors that you give it a label and you tell your guitar is made of Honduran mahogany, made of this and that. And then all of a sudden you kind of expect that this is supposedly that holy grail. Whereas in reality... Nowadays, the mahogany that you can buy, it's, it's, it's so difficult to find resonating the, the type of mahogany that would do it, that would really do that same thing that the best ones did. And so my answer was not that I need to find those rare pieces of Honduran mahogany. My answer was that I need a material that gives me this feeling. Mm-hmm. So I would go out and about, and then I happen to be uh, apprenticing for classical guitar makers, and they are using wood material called Spanish cedar for the necks of the best classical guitars. Mm-hmm. And and they would put me there, you know, carve necks. And I'm carving their necks, and I'm thinking to myself that this is really light. It's it's really, it, it looks like mahogany. It smells very different from mahogany, but it, it, it's really light and it, it's kind of mahogany-like wood and it has something that is intriguing. Mm. So I would ask my master, the, the classical guitar maker, about that. Do you know that if anybody has made electric guitars out of this material? And then he's like, I don't know that it's, it's only, to his knowledge, it's used in, in classical guitars. And so a younger luthier comes in, well, older than me, but younger from my master comes in who made uh, he worked at the same workshop and had overheard our discussion he comes in there and has he has made one guitar and it sounded great but it's impossible to sell because it's not Honduran mahogany right and that's when I thought yeah that's my material I want to try that <laughs> I want to give it a try because there's 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 a, there's a chance there's a slight chance that I f- have found my material to mm. make these guitars and so I would buy enough wood from my from my classical guitar master to build three guitars and so a couple of years later when i had um, founded my own company i would make three the first three duke prototypes out of that spanish cedar the necks and the bodies and that's that's how things went and and i i've I had the same experience as 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 the the colleague who told me impossible to sell it was impossible to sell Hmm. And 
that's the thing. I mean, when, when you're pioneering at something, whatever it is, when there is nobody who is doing what you're doing and the kind of tradition, the world is kind of fighting against any kind of a change because everybody wants the same stuff. Everybody wants Jimi Hendrix all over again. Everybody wants the, the, the same sounds again, the same materials again. And, and, and it, you know, it's, it's almost like these, like, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it, it's a conservative world in many respects. And, and so kind of uh, to, to convince the world that I have something that is worthwhile and, and you should check. I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the story of my life as a guitar maker. Mm-hmm. And it didn't stop with Spanish cedar. It continued with the thermal aging. It continued with, with Arctic birch. It can, has continued in the recent years with our valve bucker. I was going to ask you about so, that. You know, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, what does the valve bucker differ? How does it differ from a regular pickup? I mean, it's to me, it's almost like a an old school active pickup almost. But I'm not. Yeah. I haven't really delved delved uh, delved into the te- technical stuff yeah. yet. So, what was the idea behind that? Well, well, well. Let's say that the the story how we how how I came came up with the idea is another coincidence another another coincidence of just chain of events where i just kind of seized the moment when when that idea came up because this is our this is how life is i think you mm-hmm. know there's ideas floating around us all the time and it's about our antennas and about our kind of sensitivity of kind of noticing a good opportunity somewhere and grasping that and giving it a go. And at the same time, all along, lots of, lots of great ideas float past and we never, we, it's, they just come and they just go. But this was, this was a story where, uh, you know, a friend of mine was interested in ordering a guitar from me. It kind of started with the idea of a futuristic guitar, the next generation of, of electric guitar. And I think the the brainstorming with him started from something digital and mm-hmm. something modeled technology, what, what, whatever. I mean, that's how it started. But then the conversation floated into the birth of electric guitar that took place in the, let's say, 20s, 30s, 40s. That's when the kind of the, the brewing happened. And, and towards the end of 40s, 1940s, the electric guitar as we know it was born. And so my my friend asked me a question that why 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 wasn't it invented earlier? Because it could have been tech technically it mm. could have been invented earlier. Uh, that why did it come so sort of late to the game? And so we kind of dig into the history with my friend a bit and and there there's a logical explanation why electric guitar didn't come earlier than it did. It's because of because the amplification could have been done a lot earlier with vacuum tubes uh-huh. that were originally invented for one of the first purposes for vacuum tubes. The amplification purposes was to to amplify long distance calls. And if you think of a telephone, I mean, it's a magnetic pickup. Uh-huh. It's kind of like guitar pickup. It's the same thing and then with the vacuum tube you amplified it but there was no speaker element there was no speaker cone that that was invented in the 1930s and that's when 
the early PA systems and guitar speakers and all kinds of speaker-related things started popping up from left and right, and which which enabled the the birth of electric guitars. We know it. But so, anyways, my friend, my friend then tells me that, well, I want you to make that guitar for me, that first electric guitar in the world uh, that could have been made in 1895. So make me that. Hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And, 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 and my friend is like, yeah, you have free hands and uh, just do whatever you want. And we have a budget of so and so much, which was pretty good budget, budget for this imaginary uh, concept guitar, fantasy guitar. And I, I I told him that okay, there's there's a couple of rules. One rule is that that there is no timeline. I I cannot give you a deadline for this guitar. That the upside is that I'm gonna make it myself. The guitar, like from scratch, it's gonna be me making that instrument. But on the downside, you need to wait, and I don't know how many years you need to wait. <laughs> but the guy put the money down, and we you know we started the project, and and one of the first ideas that came about was the connection between telephone and the val and the the vacuum tube mm-hmm. and okay you you made long distance calls so and then th- there came the idea has anybody ever made an active pickup with with valve technology with tube technology and so i was like when when my friend asked me this question i was like well it must be i mean it, it, it's it's impossible that nobody wouldn't have ever done that and so we start digging up everything, like you know, patent files and and every place. And I can't, I couldn't find anywhere any marking of of a of an electric guitar pickup, an active pickup made with with uh, vacuum tubes. Oh. And so I'm like, well, this is a, this is something we must do. I mean, it's like it's the it's the predecessor of EMG pickups. <laughs> We have to, we have to make it now. Even in the, you know, like if if the 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 working title for the instrument was the first electric guitar in the world, so we have to make the first active pickup in the world for the guitar, for sure. And and so so then the development started from from there, and it was really honestly, this started way back in two thousand eight. And I finally got the guitar for my friend ready in 2014. So five years. And I called the guitar Captain Nemo. And um, and this guitar had the first prototype of the Valbucker in it. And, and honestly, what did I expect from that pickup? Not much. I, I was really hoping that it would give a sound. <laughs> you know, that, mm. that, my, that you could get some kind of a sound out of it. So that my friend would be able to plug it into something and get some kind of a sound. But I never thought when making that first guitar that this would be a product of just, it was just a cool concept that was fun to make. And it was like kind of like child, childful uh, or like playfulness. It was not serious. It was just bringing up these cool ideas and tinkering with them like a kid. Like a kid's play, I was making that instrument and having fun with it. And I pulled in people because I didn't know so much about tube technology. So I pulled in people who knew about it. And so I asked a friend, uh, one of my employees, one of my luthier's father is a a tube uh, specialist and has worked with tube technology all his life. 
He's now retired from the army. Mm-hmm. And so he made us that that tube preamp for that for that pickup. And and again, I mean the in our in our best hopes we were thinking that yeah, let's hope it it, it makes a sound and it doesn't feed back horribly bad and it, it let's hope it doesn't break any other equipment hmm. when we plug it in. And that's about that until the moment I plugged in the guitar for the first time, which was uh, a revelation and one of those revelation moments for me because there was something in that sound that I had never heard before and it was so so dynamic and so powerful and so so sensitive and massive massively detailed that it kind of felt like going from you know SD to 4K regarding image like mm-hmm going to the high fidelity of detail, like much greater resolution in the sound, like I've kind of explained it afterwards, that maybe that's what the experience was about. There was something very juicy about it, something very organic about it, and very detailed about it that I had not heard before. At the same time, the guitar was a beast. It was out of control. It You really could break an amp with it if you cranked the guitar volume because it was like too powerful. Mm. And we had no idea how the preamp should be and, and how these elements should be optimized so that this could be made into a viable product. But but the first prototype was so cool sounding or there was potential for such cool sound that... That evening when I had plugged in the guitar for the first time, I came up with the name Valbucker and I reserved valbucker.com domain for me. And I started the process for trademarking the Valbucker in the United States Mm -hmm. because I had such kind of like a feeling that this is going to be the future for me. Still, that was 2014. Now it's 2021. I still don't know if it's the future for us, but from year 2000 to year 2019, solid, we were, we started a, a product development project around making that beast, the Captain Nemo, into something that we could embed into any of our guitars. And when you when you ask that, what is different with the with the Valbucker and and a normal pickup. Well, if you think of the electric guitar, I understand that my answers are very, very, very long. But that's okay. You have to bear with me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, if you think of the electric guitar as a like the roots of it, mm-hmm. electric guitar was never hi-fi. It was never hi-fi. It was it was always low fidelity, very much so. And and the pickups and the uh, the earliest Fender pickups and Rickenbacker pickups and and whatever the humbuckers that came along the P90s and whatever came along, the passive pickups they were never high resolution. They were never high fidelity. They weren't meant to capturing for the the whole spectrum of the sound, and that's fine. I'm not. This is not a criticism. It's just that the electric guitar kind of the the way it de- developed. It developed into a certain style of an instrument that we, and that's what we love about it. It's so, it's so captivating and so unbelievably 
cool and sexy and everything what the electric guitar can be in different kind of contexts but it was never high fidelity it was it was if you look at it from the frequency range and this you know you you put it on screen what does the electric guitar pick up what does it pick up from the strings it picks mm. up very limited amount of the of the frequencies and and it and it and it colors the sound heavily really heavily and and it's a and i say all this in a positive way that electric guitar the evolution of electric guitar it was like a winning recipe as we can see it like revolutionized the whole pop culture mm-hmm. in in so many ways uh with the sounds it produced and at the same time on the other hand i mean it could have gone different it could have gone i mean if you think of studio technology because back in the back in the 40s back in the 30s you have a microphone you're talking into a microphone there i'm talking into a microphone in the 30s if we would have been talking into these microphones they would have sounded horrible they sounded mm. very harsh and not natural sounding but then in the 40s came along neumann with their u47 tube microphone which was a revolutionary invention at the time i'm having i'm i have here a tube microphone it's a, it's a british from the uk Sontronics aria tube microphone it's it's here just for the sake of it for this moment when i can explain and compare because <laughs> you know um the idea at the time with the tube microphone that the neumann company in germany developed was that they would have this super sensitive microphone capsule Mm-hmm. that would capture the sound and all nuances of the sound of the human voice when you speak to it or or the or the trumpet when you play it or whatever acoustic sound source or audio source you wanted to record so this would this capsule would be able to read and catch every nuance of that sound but in order to make such a sensitive capsule it kind of inevitably produces a, an extremely weak signal and in order to amplify that signal you need something to amplify it here at the source you can't send that passive signal through a cable to your sound desk to amplify it there because in that cable system you already lose like half of the information of the of the signal so you you need to amplify it right there at the source in the most highest quality way you can amplify it and at the time in the 40s the only way to amplify it was a vacuum tube there was no other way of amplifying so they would put a vacuum tube into the into the uh, microphone the u47 and this became this changed the world Uh. the u47 really changed you know the elvis records the frank sinatra records and and whoever if you listen to these old recordings and and old jazz recordings from the from the 50s from the 60s and and so much and it's still to a lot of uh studios these tube microphones or simulations of it are are the foundation for for recording in in many in, in many ways so whereas the electric guitar tradition developed into this kind of specific way with with its lo-fi target mm-hmm. 
at the same time, the studio technology went the other way and you wanted to capture everything and you wanted to make it better and better and better and better. And this, for some reason, never happened with the electric guitar, which is perfectly fine because it, it served served another purpose. But now coming back to the Valbucker, so what is the Valbucker? Well, the Valbucker is essentially a Neumann U47 modified into a magnetic pickup uh. gadget that you, we've stuffed into an electric guitar. It has all the elements. It has a, a, a magnetic pickup, or I would call it the capsule, that captures all the frequencies from down below, like below 20 hertz to over 20 kilohertz, the whole human hearing, like, and, and a very evenly nice frequency range with, with all the frequencies. It, it's, it's very uh, sensitively capturing it, but at the same, in, in exactly the same way as, as the Neumann U47 or these Sontronics that I have here. Mm. If I would send that signal through the cable passive, we would lose that dexterity and that nuance and that richness of the sound. And so we need to amplify it there. And we amplify it there with, with a triode and with a pentode tube. So there's two stages of amplifying. We're amplifying the, the, the sound and we're also EQing it. So we can sculpt it with a different kinds of EQs. That's what, that's what Valbucker is. So we have kind of, from that uh, monster of the Captain Nemo, come into a situation where we have a, a single pickup, a round disc in the middle of a guitar, kind of like a sound hole of a classical guitar. That's the pickup. And yet we can, with a, with a, with a switch, sculpt the sound in different ways. We have kind of a freedom to do that in different way than you would have with passive pickups. You can't really easily do that. So fundamentally, it's a very different take on, it's almost like, you know, what an electric guitar could be if the history would be different. Right. You know, and, and now the question remains that whether there is a place for such a thing in the, in, in the world we live in. This I don't have answer to. We have just created it. Hmm. <laughs> and, you know... We have created it, and and I'm asking that question from the players. Is there a place for this? Is there a place who 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 needs this, or is there anybody who needs this? Because it's like you know, often when when a when a guitarist picks up that instrument for the first time, the Valbucker guitar, it's a very confusing experience because we all have expectations. If the guitar looks like a Telecaster and you pick it up and you have the Valbucker in it and you, you automatically start kind of dialing and expecting something that a Telecaster would be. Or the guitar looks like a unicorn like or, or a Les Paul guitar. Again, we have different kind of expectations. But the, the matter of the fact is that the Valbucker is none of that. It doesn't fit into any of those boxes. It isn't the Telecaster. It isn't the Stratocaster. It isn't a Les Paul it's the Valbucker. <laughs> and, and so I'm, I'm kind of often referring it that what, what, what to me is the most fascinating thing about the Valbucker is that I don't really, I mean, on one level, I don't care if it will be commercially ever something that makes sense. Mm. That to me is a secondary thing. 
it would be, of course, cool. I mean, so far we've sold maybe 40 pieces of those that have shipped around the world. And there are already some really prominent, super talented guitarists who have found it. But who is it for? For the majority of guitarists, uh, probably not, because the majority, the mainstream, they don't want to want anything new. Mm -hmm. They want to want all the old stuff in new packaging in an endless possible ways. Right. Meaning that they want their Telecaster, they want their next Telecaster and the next Telecaster, and they're kind of looking for that perfect Telecaster sound and that nostalgia and that something, but bring them something new that they can't, you know, they can't grasp. What is it? And and it, it's just confusing. And so I, I would say that for the most players, it's not, it's not for, it, it is for those musicians that look genuinely for a new inspiration in 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 some directions where nobody's gone before mm. and this is the rarest thing i i i suppose or may, maybe it's maybe it's not even so rare maybe it's all over all over the place and 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 a lot of people are doing it. it's just that we live in a world where the music scene everything is so fragmented to to all over the place that that it, it's difficult to there is no huge phenomenons within the sphere of rock music happening anymore new with mm. young people or young players we just we just see you know rolling stones are going going tough and and <laughs> god it's it's somehow well anyways so I, as a conclusion i would say that like i was i was uh, starting to explain and then i got got lost with my with my own thinking was that the most fascinating thing about the Valbucker to me is that if you think of technology and what the technology technological advancements and and steps and development has been during the past let's say 30 years okay we we overcame the problem with the with the valves being so clumsy and heating up and and energy consuming and so we came up with a solid state mm-hmm. We came up with all kinds of new ways of doing things smaller. We came up with the digital stuff. We came up with the modeled technology that today starts to be frighteningly awesome. It's so great that it's just mind-blowing how how great it is, the latest developments of model technology and it's and it's of course beautiful thing and and nothing nothing no not a word of criticism there i think it's all good and it's all great that all this is you know for everybody to grasp you can have your plugins and you just have a you have a laptop and or an ipad and you can make music and you can record music and it's just so so easy these days and accessible for everyone so that's that's great but if I'm thinking of the, you know, all this technological advancement and what has it been used for? Well, it's been used off like 99% of the times when we come to the guitar world. Whenever there comes a new technology, what do we do with it? We try to simulate the old sounds with the new technology. <laughs> and then there comes the Absolutely. next new technology and we again <laughs> look into the reverse mirror and, and try to make that old 
tube sound and yeah. that sound and Beatles and Jimi Hendrix and and whoever even better with that new tech improved technology and 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 the same goes with the model technology where we're reproducing the the nostalgic cool stuff from the past over and over and over and over again so that's kind of like the what's happening and i'm thinking that that's the cool thing about the valbucker hey it's an it's old technology but we have taken that old technology and we have succeeded in in creating the rarest thing on earth a new sound that didn't exist before right it's a new sound with old technology and that's the cool thing you know whether it has use or whether it doesn't have use it's in a way secondary but it's a new sound that is very musical and very inspiring and it can be very inspiring so my question is i did a podcast on this topic some time ago is that you know i think i had titled it like kind of provocatively like that who is the next Jimi hendrix because it's i was thinking that you know people would kind of fall into that trap that you know they are kind of starting to suggest names like younger players who are playing like Jimi hendrix mm. but the point of my podcast was that hey Jimi hendrix was a guy who at his time in the end of 60s toward the end of 60s he took at the time all the latest technology that he mm-hmm. had available the newest martial amps the newest pedals the newest fender strats and he would misuse that technology in <laughs> such ways that the manufacturers would have never ever imagined that you could use those that gear for sure and he created a sound that had never been heard on this planet before and that's what Jimi Hendrix was that's like the concept of hey Jimi Hendrix is this guy it's like the same you know 10 years earlier Beatles was the same and there are these kind of milestones when somebody has brought in a sound or or music that we haven't heard before and it has changed the world so i'm kind of thinking that in that way whether it's a commercial success or not the valbucker for me it's that it's that thing for us as a company and if my company would be a band you know i'm thinking that up until the moment of the valbucker we were kind of trying to come up with our own music but it would be very close to somebody else's music and the valbucker would be our first truly original song mm. so i'm i'm leaving it out to the to the guitar players to kind of figure out if somebody would find from this from this piece of gear the valbucker if somebody would find from that product something we haven't heard before something make music that we haven't heard before and would change the world right we can fantasize about that yeah i mean i think it from from how you describe it it almost reminds me of how Actually, I'll I'll reference. Uh, I think you know, as far as the new Jimi Hendrix, like maybe someone like Tosin Abasi, who is pushing yeah. the boundaries of technique and innovating guitars of his own design. I I went to a Fishman Fluence yeah demo with him, and uh, they said the same kind of thing. It's like more going to four K that the frequency yeah. ranges. Yeah. So I definitely think there's a place for it because I think you just need to get it into the hands of the people that really want to exactly. push the envelope. 
I'd, I'd like to see a, a, a head-to-head kind of video where someone's comparing a valve bucker with a Fishman Fluence. But That's a great it, idea. Yeah. That's a I mean, idea. and do, do you think that the frequency range would lend itself well to changing how amps receive the... Yeah, uh, absolutely. You, you maybe that's you need the, the more more of a... You know, we, we look at the base, base amps and they've got, you know, lots of different types of speakers to get the frequency range. Maybe that's yeah. how the guitar amps now need to become, you know, having these. Yeah, different... exactly. So, the, so the, yeah, this is a this is a great point and and something that you know, since we, since we got serious with the Valbucker, it's something that we've kind of brought along and introduced from time and time and time again. That you know, th- this is the next question that now mm. that we have this, what is the ideal amplifier to plug it into, and does it exist? Or is it the amplifier? Is it the speaker system? Or what is the Valbucker? Because I'm also thinking that one interesting aspect, which would I, I guess would also um, go for the the, the Fishman Fluence uh, every bit of the way the same, is that whether that pickup is the perfect pickup, maybe one of the perfect pickups for recording music mm. with the new model technology. Like... Because those things don't set limitations. If you, sure. I mean, you could. So I'm thinking that you know to get that kind of 4K or high fidelity or that dexterity and 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 richness of the s- signal being captured from the source, from the instrument itself, and you know then you can do whatever you want with it. Mm. So it's kind of like I'm thinking that the uh, one uh, possible future application. Where I would see that the Val Bucker and the and the Fishman Fluence and the likes could have a significant role to play would be like more more thinking as uh, studio equ- equipment. Mm-hmm. You know, when a band goes to a studio, that they would have there that okay, you know, if you want to record, because I'm one interesting um, experience. My son has a metal band. He's a, he's a great guitarist, and they're they're recording their first album now and. It's like a prog metal stuff. Awesome. And and my son asked me, he's he's 25 years old, and he asked me when they were recording certain tracks on the on the on the album that what could I recommend to him? Because he would like to record these like super clean sounds, but he's not getting there with his electric guitars. He's not getting there with an acoustic guitar. He just doesn't find a way how to do it because he mm. has this sound in his mind. And he would like to capture that. And so I'm thinking at the time, this is a couple of years ago or maybe one year ago. So I'm thinking that I have this Valbucker prototype guitar here, not the Captain Nemo, but one of the later prototypes that you could lend that to the, or I could lend that to him uh, to the studio and maybe try that. So he brings in the Valbucker and, and they've already done all the metal parts, all the, all, the, all the distorted guitars and the overdrive and everything. So they're doing these, these clean parts. And when the recording engineer, he gets the Valbucker signal into the desk and he's there like, whoa, what's <laughs> going on? What is this sound? And and they record those uh, those takes and, uh, and the recording engineer is, I'm quoting him, he said, how can I ever go back to recording this type of clean sound with anything else? Right. Because it was so, so clear and so rich and still not 
you know, because that's one of the things that I think guitarists are often kind of suspicious about and almost like a scared about mm. when you mention hi-fi, because it's like high fidelity. You often kind of start thinking something sterile and not, mm-hmm. not rock and roll and not organic. But that's the thing that with the with the, and I don't even know how it works with the with the Fishman Fluence. I've I have very limited. I've tried a guitar or two guitars with that pickup system, but so briefly that I I I wouldn't know. But but mm-hmm. with the Valbucker with the tube um, amplification happening at the source, so we have there this kind of natural tube compression, mm-hmm. slight tube compression happening right there. It is very rich signal and very much 4K and, and, and detailed, but you could never call it sterile or right. something that is in, in, in a negative sense, high fidelity, whatever that could mean, you know? So, but it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm just kind of, uh, we're, we're, we're developing things further right now. We're developing, uh, uh the Valbucker for bass, that's our next thing because we, we see the potential there with the low frequencies that are very challenging, especially five five string basses and the B string. And so mm-hmm. when we know that the Valbucker is capable of capturing the lowest of the low notes and the, the frequencies so beautifully that, that it's kind of very intrigued of seeing how that pans out. But this is what we are right now developing so we, we by by no means we have stopped developing the the Valbucker further so we have we have right now the 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 mark one the first Valbucker the original Valbucker um it's it's on the market and and we're making them as custom orders but at the same time we are we have the mark two for the bass and with slight changes for the guitar guitar pickup as well that's that's in the pipeline and we have already I'm fantasizing about the Mark Three and the Four, <laughs> all <laughs> kinds of things. I have lots of ideas, but we'll we'll have to see. We'll have to see. That's awesome. I wanted to touch on. Um, I just saw the video for how to become a better guitar player. Um, I was listening to mm-hmm. that yesterday, and it's like I said before. It's it's come for the guitar stuff and leave for the life advice. <laughs> yeah, I mean. It, if if you don't mind talking about it, you know I talk about mental health oh. on my podcast as well. So it was really interesting yeah. to see, you know, your your process of trying to get over your mental, you know, your your low points by by systematically putting together. And I I actually drew out your mirror mirror on the wall. Okay, cool thing on a piece of paper, and I I definitely want to try it. Um, yeah, if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about kind of your your depressive parts and how you've been mindful of getting over them I, I would say first of all I'm I'm like um, I come from from up north in Finland mm-hmm. from a pretty small small place with my family and and this is a area of our country I mean, we are we're, we're all together I mean Finland is often seen as this like serious country mm-hmm. we're serious people serious country most of the year we have dark season. We have a very long winter and and not so much sunlight and and lots of metal bands and lots of people dressed in black <laughs> and and there's this kind of a doomy and gloomy thing about 
Finland, which kind of kind of is and isn't true. But in in my case, I'm very very stereotypical in in that way that I've I've uh, how would be the translation for that in English like um, being kind of depressed from my birth <laughs> in a way. Maybe maybe it's uh, it's not not quite as simple as that, but it comes with the family and comes with the uh, generations of uh, of trauma, I would say, and and trauma dating back to. Uh, I mean, we, we don't need to go back so much so much to the back to the to the previous generations, but I would just say that we're a country that we've been an independent country only for. A little bit over 100 years. So 1917, mm. we became an independent country, and we and since then, or before that, we were not constantly, but almost in war. We're we're the battleground between the 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 old Russian Empire and the Swedish Kingdom. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much you know about the Scandinavian and the Russian history, but but we're the battleground. We're the we're that gray area between them and we've been at war and then when we became independent so started civil war and then 30 years later started the second world war in which uh, Finland was pretty much burned down at the end of it Mm. so there's a lot of there's there's these generations there's not many generations who haven't experienced severe catastrophes and war like that and that kind of uh that kind of things always reflect to the next generations in, a, in really heavily like whether it would be um alcoholism and and all sorts of other negative uh, aspects and i would say that now you know living in in the modern modern finland that is uh part of scandinavia and 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 we're doing very well and at least on the surface, we're doing very well. Mm. Surface of things, but I would say that the the young generations now maybe they they start to be. I mean, you can see it from a different kinds of different kinds of signs of it that they start to be pretty okay. They start to be like the old scars seem to have been healed. But I'm still thinking you know my grandparents were in that war and Mm -hmm. my parents were heavily affected by whatever they brought in their parents brought in from the war and so so for me it's like it's life has been really i I would say that on on one hand lucky coincidences that i have found good people around me and like you know coincidence at the unemployment office of of finding a person or a person finding me that that could kind of nudge me in the right direction. And maybe maybe the strength that I feel that has kind of helped me that is that one thing I haven't, for some reason, I and I don't have an answer why, but I haven't been afraid of seizing the opportunity. When, when mm-hmm. there's been something that I see that this could be good for me, I have had the courage to kind of change course, even dramatically at some points. And yeah... There's been that kind of a underlying, of, you know, like a, a a will, will to understand better. Mm-hmm. That's I think that's what it is. Will to understand better, whether it's the world around me or myself, kind of boils down to that. That I've had this kind of 
unending thirst to understand better. And, you know, in, 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 in heart, within, even though it doesn't appear that way anymore, but I was, as a kid and as a teenager, and I was, the, I was always the introvert, the silent kid who, who, was, who was tinkering alone with his stuff, mm. whether, it was, whether it was the guitars or whether it was old computers or whether it was whatever, model airplanes or something. I was tinkering stuff alone and reading a lot and listening to music constantly all the time endlessly and and at some point i started reading biographies and that's been one of those things that i felt is has been very helpful to me because you know learning from other people's experiences and try well it's not so easy to learn from other people's experiences because one can easily think that i'm learning from other person's experience by let's say watch a great movie and by the end of the movie you feel so enlightened mm. that you know, there's this great teaching in, in a movie and you're like, okay, now I get it. And now I'm going to change my, my, my life. And then, you know, two days later, you notice that you've kind of fallen back to whatever and you've forgotten everything about what, whatever was great in that movie. And so it's, it's, it's really difficult to, um, and this is one of the things that I refer to in that pot, particular podcast is that fighting to change a habit into another habit it's the hardest thing in life right? to come up with a winning habit. I mean, you can understand it with your mind. You understand that this is a way. If I keep on doing this, it's going to be so good to me, but to actually make that into a habit that sticks, it's so difficult. It's so difficult. And wasn't it in that podcast, that particular podcast where I talked about my morning walks? Yes, it was. It was a radio, you, yeah. you were listening to a radio personality from Finland. Yeah. And the idea to, 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 to your podcast listeners. So I'm, I was talking about kind of this realization with the help from, from this radio personality who was kind of, you know, pitching an idea that, you know, that you could do good for yourself, for your life by taking control of the mornings mm-hmm. and, from the morning, you kind of you get the feeling that you're steering and, and you're not being steered, and you're 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 in this you're you're in the control, and you know you wake up, you take a morning walk, and you come back home, and then then you're on top of things when the actual morning routines for the family or whatever when when it all starts, kind of pouring over, and the idea is that by taking control of the morning. The rest of the day kind of comes easily. You just uh. slide down the rest of the day because it started so well, and and this is something that I'm I'm constantly struggling with. It's not like when I'm telling in that podcast that I've, I'm kind of now I'm doing it. I'm I'm every morning I'm waking up and I'm I feel great, and I've come 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 over or been able to uh, get past depression or get past this kind of low point with taking control of the mornings but but it's so easy to fall back and it's 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 for me also a constant battle and in that way i think one of the reasons of making that podcast and one of the reasons that we're using that tool on our wall the mirror mirror on the wall that i call it on the in the, yeah. the podcast 
it is a reason to just remind myself and, and, you know, doing that podcast for others. I'm also trying to help myself being at a low point and trying mm. to talk about it to kind of make it real for myself. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I, I personally doing my own podcast and talking about mental health has, it's almost like therapy because I'm telling the world about yeah. my problems and I'm from England originally and you have that stiff upper lip kind of you don't talk about your problems. It's, it, you know, it's a weakness. You can't you can't do that. As soon as yeah. I started telling, you know, I, we, have, we have the same. Yeah, I, I had that mental thing where oh, I, I can't let my coworkers know. And, you know, I, it, it's like a, a exactly. pride thing. But as soon as I started telling the world, it, it was like a weight lifting off. And I'm almost like my therapy, my therapists are my listeners now. Because I get to yeah. get to do that, so exactly that. No, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's great that you're doing it. I think that's that's wonderful, and 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 I can really relate to the what you were just saying about you know that you can't talk about sort mm-hmm. of like you can't talk about your the difficult stuff and and open up about those things because it it feels so, so or at least in 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 our culture like I have I have many friends from from the UK from Ireland and. I feel we're very similar in many ways. Mm-hmm. There's so much similarities with the with the with the culture in Ireland, in in the UK. It's same as in Japan. I've right, right. figured. I mean, in Japan, it's also very similar in some ways. Maybe more dramatically so in Japan. I would think even. so. Yeah. And yeah, and 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 at the same time, it's kind of like that. There's that kind of fa- false assumption that by not telling, by not sharing. And by keeping it to myself, it's some sort of a strength, mm. you know, whereas the reality is that when when you have the guts to share it and when you have the when you when you talk about it, that's the strength. And yeah. that's when you kind of gain back that authority as a human being of, you know, and that's when people I mean, have you ever, ever gotten, I don't know, like negative feedback of sharing something? Never. No, never exactly, and that's the fear of that you know some mm-hmm. some kind of, a, and I have exactly the same experience. There's, it's interesting. Awesome. I, I want to say to you one thing, sure. just a sentence that this radio personality, one mm-hmm. of the brilliant punchlines that I've learned from him, and I've written it into my notebooks and into my cell phone and everywhere. So every you know from time to time, I just can't avoid seeing that sentence. And the sentence is that you're every bit as sick as your secrets. That's that's very very poignant. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that I really appreciate you sharing that. That actually encompasses my main, you know, normal questions that I ask everybody. So I'm going to end with, what does music mean to you? Well, music music is something that since since a kid, since I found music, and and I found music many years before that Iron Maiden album. Mm. But it was kind of more like a, the, the co- conscious musical awakening maybe happened then with with Iron Maiden and then kind of widened so so much to every kinds of directions, to jazz, to fusion jazz, to, to blues, to all kinds of music. And I think for many, many years as a, as a teenager, music was the thing that kept me alive and together and it was the kind of grounding factor in my life that I that was the safety ha- safe haven mm. 
to go back to the music. And so it's from those years from in the 80s and through 90s, it's kind of like music is the... Because like I told earlier, I'm a kind of a geek. I know I, I like to know about my music. I like right. to know about the players. And I I know the... I know my music. I know when, when uh, you know, Black Sabbath, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, 1973, and the lineups of, of the bands that I was listening at that time. I knew, th- I know the people, I know the years, I know the, I know a lot of things about those bands. So does it matter? I don't know if it matters, but for me at the time, it, like I said, I mean, it was my life was kind of, that's what I was, you could say I could, I was meditating that. That mm-hmm. was, I was focusing my all might to, 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 music listening to music learning about music and and so in the hindsight when i'm thinking you know 1986 so i'm immediately thinking what was the music or i'm kind of thinking almost the other way around that 1986 i get this picture of these albums that came out that year and i was listening and that's where the memories come from i put that record on and i remember a lot of things from from that era and Mm. It was just so integral part always. And fast forwarding to now, to this moment and to this time, it's kind of amazing that, you know, I I wanted to play music for my living as a teenager. And then I found myself, my calling or whatever, I found it as as a guitar maker. I still have a band, I still play, but, but my, through my work, that I'm, I know that I was, as a young teenager already, I was pretty good with my hands and that I've been able to somehow, through these lucky coincidences, to kind of find this profession where still I would say most of the days, starting out a new day and here at the shop and making guitars and running this business. And it's kind of like the thought is like that, you know, wow, I can do this. So I don't need to go get a job. Hmm. And so I'm surrounded with music constantly and with great musicians and and the kind of privilege of making, you know, musical instruments, tools to these people who are then, well, they're making their living and they're they're hmm. inspired and making music with this. And then then the circle closing, you know, me in the front row of you know in a concert or or listening to a record where our guitars are being played is just mind-boggling it's like (laughs) i don't have words for that that's fantastic yeah i mean this has been a fantastic interview if people want to get in touch and find out about your guitars and and everything else where can they go they can go to rukangas.com r-u-o-k-a-n-g-a-s.com and you can find me of course from facebook from instagram from from all these places. And I'm doing a weekly YouTube uh, live stream. It's also available on podcasts on the, on all the, all the, it's called weekly Wednesday Q and a with Yuha. So you can find that from Spotify, from Apple music, wherever. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will uh, word of warning. If you are a guitar player and uh, you visit the website, the um, you, you can definitely disappear into that black hole of for the guitar <laughs> configurator, I was out up quite late last night designing some really nice instruments. That that's a fantastic <laughs> tool. I mean that that's you know the 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 three D 
Uh, and the, just the ease of use, too, because a lot of these guitar configurators may look good, but it's like, ah, how do I do this? That's so intuitive. Um, but it looks it looks amazing. I, I really love the fact that you actually have the tops that you have in stock there, too. That's that's really super cool. Yeah, that's that's something that the guitar creator, as we call it, our configurator, it's uh, it, it's a pet project that we've been working kind of on and off since 2003, since the first flash-based mm-hmm. primitive version of it was was launched. And it has become also an integral part of who we are and, and how how our followers and, and players and people have kind of learned that, that we have that element. So now it's kind of, this is a frustrating point of time for me personally because, uh, because we don't have yet nearly all the i mean only half of the instruments are in the in the 3d uh, guitar yep. creator and and adobe killed flash so our old flash things don't work anymore where we had more instruments available okay well, it wasn't nearly as fancy as the new one but this is this is one of those it's a pet project that doesn't Business-wise, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it would make sense if we would be 10 times bigger or 100 times bigger company than we are. But it's just one of those things. I told you I'm a, I'm a geek. I, I love that stuff. And I, I just love the idea of it, that when we're making custom guitars, that you have a chance to experience as close as possible that mm-hmm. uh, online somehow. And, and right now we're working on very cool stuff, which I hope that you, um, Simon, also have a chance to experience at some point, maybe at a NAMM show or somewhere. I'm, I'm hoping to or get Or maybe it becomes available in the coming years, like everybody's homes and things. But what we're experimenting now with is it's a virtual reality mm. uh, take on the guitar creator. And it's really crazy. It's Let's take our Mojo guitar, the, the Telecaster type guitar. Mm-hmm. So we have... We call it the surrogate mojo. We we have a guitar made very basic specifications, and we painted the whole thing green, oh gray, like a really just boring matte gray. It doesn't look like anything. But then when you put your VR helmet on, and you look at the guitar, it can be whichever mojo mm. you want, yep. visually speaking. You can hold it. You can play it. And you have there a user interface in front of your face. You you look at something, you look at a color, and the guitar will turn that color. And wow. you know it, it's an it's an out of body experience doing that because the quality of these latest virtual reality goggles and and mm-hmm. helmets that I mean they're not commercially available yet. The best ones that the the that is available for developers. But I've had a chance to try some of those things, and they are just so—they're just so amazing, so like phenomenal that you know when you don't see the pixels anymore, right? You know, and when it starts becoming so good that the virtual reality really fools you—that you, where am I? And so we're. This is just crazy. I mean, this would be something that really would make sense for for a bigger bigger software developing company, but but I have luckily I have as crazy friends as myself <laughs> who are in the software development business and so we, we keep developing this stuff 
just for the sake of it, just for the fun of it. And one of those, you mentioned that we have our actual tops, the guitar, Arctic Birch guitar top in inventory that we have here in our shelf. That's been uploaded into the guitar creator. You can you can choose those tops and their serial number, and you can pick up the top, and it's going to be what you see is what you get. So if you pick that top and we make you that guitar, it's going to look exactly like that. So that's that's the the gist of it. But you know, rewinding five years back, and me telling the guys, the 3D modeling guy and the software developer guy, you know, and and I'm telling them about my goals, and I'm telling them that. I want our actual tops to be in that inventory. And the guys are like nodding to me like this and looking at each other, but they're still nodding to me that, yeah, 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 we can do it. And then, okay, fast forwarding a couple of years later, and we sit down at the kind of a launch party when we made it work. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then the guys confessed me that they were so freaked out to no end at that moment, two years ago, when I told them that I want these actual tops to be in there because they had no freaking idea how can, you can do that. Because if you think of five years ago, what virtual reality, what 3D modeling and these iPad 3, 3D uh, models things were about, I mean, you you, can't, you couldn't do anything like that. Right. You still can't basically do it, but they found ways to kind of cheat the systems. and But it's pretty cool. To be on that, it's another, it's another example of that, you know, pioneering, mm-hmm. that exploration of, you know, on the frontier, you know, trying to look something that doesn't exist yet, and it's 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 not the easiest place to be because often the pioneers, if you read the history books, the pioneers are the guys who often died poor, yep, and the riches came after them. But for me, I think it's it's. In a way, it's irrelevant because I can't help it. It's it's just part of me to, to just that you know to ask that question like repeat over and over and over again that what if right what if <laughs> what if that's that's fantastic. I like to end the uh, the podcast with a song piece of music that uh, of the person that I'm interviewing. So I don't know if you have any of your own original music, but if not, maybe something your son uh, has recorded would be really cool. Yeah, uh, you mean mentioning? So mention the band name, and people can find it, or or is it something that? No, I'll play. I'll play it at the end. Are uh, you played in the end? Yeah. Okay, cool. So I will. I would send you then uh, one track from my son's band. Yeah, my son has a metal band called Black Mint. Okay. So I will. I will ask them if it's okay because they haven't published their the the coming album. So is it if is it okay to to share one of those tracks that is is not officially available yet but if not there are some earlier ones that are pretty cool as well so okay yeah yeah so i will i will yeah, that's cool that's very that cool. sounds cool yeah i mean and we'll uh we'll link up the uh, actual name and i'll announce it at the end so people know what song it is cool. so awesome yeah. um you've been super generous with your time i really appreciate it It was a fantastic conversation this was great fun i i really hope i get to i hope you know, real Nam actually happens in the future. Yeah. You know, instead yeah. of the virtual thing. And yeah, yeah. I, I look forward to meeting you in person if if we can hook that up. But otherwise, I you know Scandinavia is definitely on my bucket list for travel. So maybe I can come cool. and you know visit the factory. So if you and stuff. ever, yeah, if you ever come to Finland, you need to promise not to not to um, um, drive passes. You oh, have to stop not. here. 
So, and I, I'm serious. I mean, Finnish people, when they invite somebody to come over, it means the invitation is on. So awesome. All right. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll uh, let you get to the rest of your day and I really appreciate it and uh, continued success. Thank you. It was a blast. Thank you so much for listening. I'd really appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform, as this really helps get the word out about the podcast, so other musicians can benefit from the awesome knowledge that my guests are sharing. The more the musicians' community collectively learns, the stronger we will become. A rising tide lifts all ships. This episode is sponsored by the Skinny Armadillo Printing Company in Fort Worth, Texas, offering a full range of apparel decoration and promotional items, such as screen printing, embroidery, laser engraving, and much more. The Skinny Armadillo is now offering a merch fulfillment service, including on-demand printing and a custom-built web store, so you can concentrate on your music and running your business as a musician. Visit theskinnyarmadillo.com or call 817-546-1430 to learn how the Skinny Armadillo can help you take your merch to the next level. Keep pushing the needle and be excellent to each other. This is Blackmint featuring Yuha's son on guitar with the song Remnants Astray. Thank you.